0: Hello, and welcome to Drupal Easy Podcast number 217. My name is Mike Anello, and with me today is a fellow member of the Michael Club, uh, Michael Hess from the Drupal security team. Hey, Michael, how are you?
1: I'm well. How are you today?
0: Pretty good. I wonder, is Michael still, for a long time, it was like the most popular boy's name, at least in the US. I wonder if that's still the case. I would assume it's, it's up there in the top 10. Um. So you are, let me just give you a little bio here real quick. You are a senior technologist and adjunct lecturer at the University of Michigan, which means you, you, you don't like Ohio State by default. So that's correct,
1: right? I grew up in Columbus, Ohio. So actually, I remain neutral on this topic.
0: Really? Mm-hmm. And they, and they let you stay in Michigan?
1: It's more like they don't let me back into Ohio.
0: Oh, OK. Very good. Um, your username on Drupal.org, Hess. And folks probably um, know you as a member of Drupal's security working group, which I think most people know it as the uh, Drupal security team, but I think we're trying to move things towards working groups. So,
1: so actually the security team and the working group are separate items. The oh, working right. group is the um, kind of the the I- liaison group. It's the, I don't want to call it the management group, but it's like, it's the, it's the leadership group of the security team. So we handle kind of the interaction with the other groups. Uh, so for example, if a security team member is having an issue with a community member, the security working group will step in and attempt to deal with that. And the security working group would actually escalate it to the CWG. Obviously, if somebody wants to do it themselves directly, they're totally you know, able to do that. If we need resources from other places in this, uh, in the Drupal community, the security working group liaisons with the appropriate groups to make that happen.
0: Well, look at this. I stand corrected. I'm learning something already. So it's safe to say that the, the security team is a subset of the security working group, or are they actually separate entities?
1: Uh, the security working group is a subset of the security team. Oh, so there's three people on the security working group. Um, uh, myself, Greg and Ben Jevons, Greg Kananison and Ben Jevons. Um, and the security team itself is 36 people, 35 people, something in that range uh, around the world.
0: All right. Well, based on the first two minutes or so of this podcast, it's clear I'm going to learn a lot because I got the introduction wrong. So we're we're in for a bit of fun here. So before we get into all of my questions for you, Michael, let me just talk about our sponsor, MyDropWizard.com. Um, They have maintenance plans for Drupal 6, 7, and 8 sites. So if you are an organization that has a Drupal 7 site, or you are an agency that manages a bunch of Drupal 6, 7, or 8 sites, and you don't feel like you want to be involved in the day-to-day maintenance, updating modules, updating core, things like that, you can contract with MyDropWizard.com, and for a low monthly fee starting at 99 bucks, they will help you keep core and contributed modules up to date, keep the site online, answering kind of quick one-off support questions, and, and things like that. Um, in addition, all plans include a, a site audit, 24-hour response time complimentary hosting, Um, I think that makes sense for some sites and maybe not so much for other sites, as well as a 30-day money-back guarantee if you are not satisfied with their service. Um, You can check them out at mydropwizard.com and uh, tell them that the Drupal Easy podcast sent you. All right, Michael, so um, I've been trying to get you on the podcast for I'd say a couple months now because the rundown that I wrote a couple months ago I originally wrote the rundown right after the February twentieth Drupal core security advisory, which was the one that involved uh, REST services. Um, so I'm really interested in the process, and I've always been interested in in the process of the security team of how of how it all comes together. Um, so I don't know if you want to, you know, we could talk about this issue specifically, or or, or you know, veer back and forth between this issue and, and more generic issue. Um, but I'm curious, you know, how does how does the security team like first get notified of an issue like this? How, how does that process happen? So,
1: let's see. We 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 have a dedicated uh, tool that we use at security.drupal.org where inbound reports come. Uh, you can get to this tool by going to any project on drupal.org and on the uh, right hand side there's a link that says report a security vulnerability. Uh, that will take you to either security.drupal.org if the security team covers the project. And if it doesn't cover the project, it will take you to the public issue queue and fill in some basic tags. Uh, we cover projects that are have opted into security team coverage and have a stable release. So if you've opted your project into security team coverage and you have a stable release and you click on that link, you will be directed to the private issue tracker that the security team looks at directly. Otherwise, it goes into the public queue and you're unable to opt into coverage until you've resolved all of your security team, all your public issues.
0: So by a stable release, you're not talking about obviously a beta or a dev or a release candidate. It has to be like a full 1.0 type of release.
1: Has to be a full 1.0 release.
0: So for this particular issue, um, was this something that was reported by a community member? I'm aware that there are you know there are organizations that use Drupal um, or large organizations that have security people that actually scan Drupal's code for for various vulnerabilities. So how did, if you can talk about it, like how does this type of vulnerability come, you know, how did this come to light?
1: I'll I'm gonna I'm gonna go wide and then we'll get general, then we'll get specific here. So in general, we get reports from three to four different constituencies. There are dedicated security researchers. Some of them are on the security team, some of them are just people who do security research, who for fun or for profit look to find security issues. Um, and these are professionals who spend their day doing this or parts of their day doing this. Sometimes they're paid by their companies. Uh, you, you know, you're bringing a new website online and you hire a company to go look at your, your site to make sure that you know, it's secure and they go through and they find these. Uh, sometimes it's somebody who just want, you know, is, is bored and wants to have fun. Uh, We just ran a bug bounty program where we paid people to do this, whether they were professionals or not. If they found a security issue, uh, we would pay them money uh, that was sponsored by the EU. Uh, We also get reports from module maintainers themselves who are working in their module and they realize that they made a mistake and there is a security issue in the way they wrote their code before. And so they contact us to handle the process that we we go through when there's a security issue, and the smaller group is we get you know individual folks that are running a, a website and they they have found an issue or you know their IT department has found an issue, and that will get routed back through us. So th- those are typically the places where we get security issues from. Uh, the 2019 003 issue in Drupal core came from Sam. Sam is one of these security researchers. He also coincidentally, happens to be part of the Drupal security team. So he he does both, uh, and he's uh, been pretty good at finding these vulnerabilities specifically around uh, web services like REST, JSON API, etc. He's been really good at finding those types of issues, which is what the 2019-03 issue was. This is a Uh, This this is an interesting area for Drupal, you know, back to Drupal 4, what was it, 4.8, maybe 4.7. We got the form API, which, you know, love it or hate it, it's been a, a, you know, pretty reliable part of Drupal. And it's been the, you know, how we validate data. Almost every security issue out there comes from untrusted user data. Sometimes it comes from trusted user data, but you don't have a security issue unless someone can inject data into your site. Uh, you know the most obvious one is SQL injection. Most of us have heard of SQL injection. This is remote code execution by somebody providing a bad payload and it was not being validated correctly. And so this was a issue there. What was interesting about this issue is the amount of coordination it took. Um, normally, when we have a security issue, we fix the issue and we write an essay and we send that out to the world. but this one actually took a lot of coordination. I think there were, I want to say seven or eight contributed modules that were involved in this that also had to be fixed and released at the same time. So there was a lot of coordination behind this uh, to, to get it out and to get everybody updated with all the essays.
0: So it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, in general, um, it sounds like the majority of the vulnerabilities that come to the security team aren't coming to you because someone's been hacked or they found something because their site's been compromised, but rather like more of like a proactive thing where someone's looking for a vulnerability and they find it and they come to you. Is that an accurate way of describing it?
1: That, that is accurate. I think we get very few vulnerabilities from, that we don't previously know about from hacked websites. So that seemed rather comforting to me. It should be, yes. It should be, yeah. <laughs> uh, we, you know, obviously when we release a security advisory that is, you know, that we do one of these highly critical things for in advance where we'll, we'll issue a PSA prior to putting the advisory out. Um Those typically get mass exploited, and we'll hear about them afterwards. You know, sometimes people will just tell us this is how my site got exploited. Sometimes people will not, you know, didn't see the advisory and are like, hey, my site's getting compromised. What's going on here? Uh, But for the most part, we hear about things not from, you know, end users or people who maintain sites, but from people who are either actively looking for them or the owners of the code behind them.
0: Alright, so that's really interesting to me because I would have, you know, before we started talking, I would have assumed that the majority of these vulnerabilities reported were reported because someone's noticing something odd on their live site. Like, like someone's been, someone's been attacked in some way, but it sounds like it's exactly the opposite. Um, so when, when an issue does come, to the security team. And it's something that like this this last one that you said, Sam reported uh, the rest issue. Do you guys have a process to determine if that vulnerability is, is, you know, in the wild or not? Or is it just a matter of, you know, not seeing sites getting attacked through this vulnerability and that's what leads you to make the determination that it's not in the wild?
1: For, for the most part, we, we, we start with the assumption that it's not in the wild. Um, the you know, it depends on how it comes to us, but you know when Sa- you know Sam, who's a security team member, if he finds a vulnerability, it the pers- you know the likelihood that it's in the wild being massively exploited is small. Uh, it's not to say that somebody who you know is smart couldn't find the vulnerability and be privately exploiting it you know on a single targeted site. But that's a lot of effort. And for the most part, you know, unless you're being as a hacker, you're being paid to you know compromise, xyzsite.com, you're not going to do that. The last three times, two times we've had massively exploited vulnerabilities, people exploited them to install Bitcoin miners. They didn't actually care what the site was. They weren't interested in it for the site. They wanted the computing power behind the site to get uh, cryptocurrency. What we typically do when a vulnerability comes in is the team will briefly look at the, the vulnerability itself and decide, you know, does this look like a legitimate vulnerability? We sometimes get support requests that come in through the private tracker. Sometimes we get issues that just, you know, spam. So there's there's a quick check that makes sure, yeah, this looks legitimate. It's in a supported, stable release, uh, you know. And so after that, if we if it's valid, uh, we will let the code owner. Uh, come and, and comment on the issue. And so you know, if you're a contrib module maintainer, those are the people who have get access to the module maintainer for core. It's a different group based on what subsystem the, the vulnerability exists in. And then the security team uh, and the maintainer of the code will go back and forth to you know, work on addressing the issue. So just like in the public issue queues, eventually there will be a patch that's written. There hopefully are tests for said patch. And we will, in contrib, there's less tests than in core. And we'll go back and forth with the maintainer to get to a place where the issue is fixed. Uh, at that point, we draft the security advisory, which is what eventually gets sent out on Wednesday. And we set a date with that code owner to actually do the release. There's you know kind of two parts to this. They have to actually tag the release. They commit the patch and tag the release and push that. And then we have to publish the release and the security advisory and do the emails and the Twitters. Um, and once that's done, we, we agree when that's going to happen, and then we, we go through the process of doing that and publishing it, and Drupal site owners get their uh, sites updated when they receive the security advisory, at least we hope they do.
0: Let me ask you about uh, – I'm going to touch on like security issues in the wild just one last time. Um, let's say there is an issue that's in the wild that comes to the security team, and someone says, hey, look, this is an issue. This is what's happened to my site. You know, and it's clearly somebody is is attacking the site through a previously unknown vulnerability. I know for the past, and you you probably have the this information off the top of your head. Was it three, four years at least, where we've had this predictable release schedule? Um, You know, where we get core update or security update, core security updates once a month. Um, If there was a vulnerability in the wild. Would there be an additional release, you know, so we didn't have to wait until that, was it the third Wednesday? I always forget if it's the first or third Wednesday of the month.
1: Third Wednesday of the month.
0: Third Wednesday. You know, say this came to light in the fourth week of the month. Would we have to wait three and a half weeks for a new uh, version of Drupal Core or an updated version of Drupal Core? Or would the security team um, move off that schedule because of a vulnerability in the wild? So
1: we would we would as quickly and as safely as possible release a, 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 a patch release for core to, to, to mitigate whatever this issue is. We'd probably start, you know and obviously this is a hypothetical scenario. So you know we, we'd make the decisions based on what the information was. But as soon as it was being mass exploited, we'd probably issue a PSA with mitigation directions. So you know, getting an actual fix to core takes time. We want to make sure it's well tested. Uh, we don't want to break sites further with a patch to core. So we probably release mitigation directions. So, you know, if it were the case of this, uh, the, the uh, SA-2019-003, we would probably tell you there's a vulnerability out here, here's the risks of it. And the temporary mitigation is to not allow git put, patch, and post requests to your web server resources. And so you, as a site owner, have immediate action you can do that may compromise your that may compromise the ability for your site to function fully. But at least your site is not going to get compromised by this. We would then work on fixing the the core issue, whatever that may be, and then we would release that uh, immediately uh, when it was ready to go. And you know, through the normal Drupal core release process, you get you know. Committers who sign off on it. The release managers then have to package the release. This the normal process we would go through, otherwise, but we would not wait, you know, a month to to fix that.
0: And since this release schedule has been enacted, this has never happened, correct? Not that
1: I'm aware of. We have, we did announce that we were going to do a release on the fourth, uh, the fourth uh, Wednesday of the month in advance. But that wasn't because of an issue being in the wild. We just it was a timing issue uh, at the time. So we've never actually had an issue that was in the wild where we you know woke up at two in the morning and started patching core and trying to do a release.
0: So are other and you may or may not know the answer to this question. I'm just thinking about this one off the top of my head. Are other open source projects are do they have similar release schedules or security release schedules? Like I'm just thinking, like does Symphony have something like this, or or WordPress, or or Joomla? Do they, do you know, are they on a predictable security release schedule like this?
1: Uh, it depends on the project. Some of them don't do releases with the frequency that we do releases at. Uh, some of them have a you know have a window that they do their releases within. So whether it's a security release or a non-security release, this is the window in which we do things. Most projects. We'll do a, you know, a public service announcement in advance if there's going to be a highly critical security issue that's coming out. And Drupal, of course, does that. There's actually uh, part of the PHP fig group is working on coming up with standards for PHP projects, at least, on how security issues get reported and how they get announced.
0: Do you feel that we're ahead of the curve with our processes and we're, we're, we're doing things the absolute right way? Or are there other projects out there that you look at and say, wow, it would be great if, Drupal, if Drupal's process could be more like that one?
1: We're, we're unique in that the, the, the security team covers contrib spaces. Right. And so, you know, WordPress, uh, Joomla, don't, don't cover the contrib space or don't cover all of the contrib space. So, you know, you as a module developer have the ability to add work to the security team by opting your project in. Uh, there are huge pluses to that. And there's also some, you know, downside to that. You know, it's, there's some scalability issues that come when there's too many modules, too many security issues. Uh, looking at the security advisory that we were talking about earlier, you know, we had to contribute with all of these modules because they all had to release at the same time. And there was a lot of, uh, a lot of Slack messages sent as part of that. Um, the, you know, we're, we're an interesting project in that we, this is the way we've always done things. And I, you know, I personally think it's the right way to do it, but, you know, on the security team, there is some question as to whether or not we should stop doing this. Uh, hasn't been brought up in, in several years. Or do we do this, you know, with modules that have twenty thousand reported installs or more, and you know, hard
0: right? Yeah, as our threshold, exactly.
1: Uh, you know, I'm I'm of the opinion that you know my site, if I install a security covered module, it should have the coverage that you know, whether it has twenty installs or twenty thousand, it should have the same level of coverage. In the you know the amount of work when the maintainers are are willing to help out isn't that bad. Uh, but there's, you know, there are different projects that have clearly made different decisions around this. Uh, one of the other things that's really interesting about the Drupal space is Drupal owns the project space. So, in the event a maintainer, you know, is unable to fix their project and their code is being widely used, the the security team can help get another maintainer set up on that project. Right. Uh, if you've got a project just sitting out on GitHub and you ignore it and somebody else wants to start, you know, fixing that project, they have to fork it. And then they have to somehow tell all the users, this is the new place. Go here yeah. now. And, you know, if you then decide to drop off and stop maintaining that and somebody else wants to come along, now you've got a fork of a fork. Yeah, that can get messy real quick. And so Drupal has been, you know, very lucky to actually have, you know, from the beginning with the, you know, the original concurrent versioning servers we had prior to the Git servers, prior to GitLab, uh, we kept the repositories central, which has made you know what we do easier at times.
0: All right, so let me. I'm going to ask you something else I, I just realized it's not in the rundown because it just popped in my head. Uh oh. No, no. This is this could be a long conversation, but I'm going to. But let's keep this one short. Um, from a security standpoint, how do you feel about automatic updates? <laughs> this was a, a, a bit of a focus in in, in DrupalCon Seattle. Dries mentioned it um, in the keynote. Is this something that you feel is going to... I, I mean, there's it, it seems to me it cuts both ways, right? It's going to help keep more sites up to date faster, but just the process of having an automatic update seems to open up another potential vector
1: it it's a risk evaluation um is what it comes down to and whether or not you turn automatic updates on on your site is a is a risk evaluation for you there's also lots of different types of automatic updates the automatic updates initiative uh you can by the way join us on you know automatic updates in slack drupal slack uh is really focused around at least initially around sites that are on shared hosting environments or on single server hosting environments. They're not on enterprise hosted environments. And if they've got an IT team and they can run you know, a Jenkins server or you know some other process to do the updates programmatically, that's probably a better way, at least right. initially. But you know, for the mass exploited vulnerabilities, they're gonna probably prevent a lot of sites from getting compromised. Uh, what you know, what happens when we release a mass Uh, vulnerability is anywhere from eight hours to two weeks that vulnerability will get exploited and so if we can let you upgrade your site automatically because you've abandoned it or you you know the person who built it for you is no longer with your organization then it actually is probably a better way to go for those sites uh, right. As we move into, you know, there's, I, I don't want to get too much into the automatic update stuff. The, the future, future plans. There's a, there's a DrupalCon presentation on this, uh, done by Peter, David, and Mike. Uh, another Mike in the Michael Club. Uh, <laughs> that, you know, the, the long-term plans actually look really promising and will probably lead to different ways in which we run PHP applications. And are likely, I don't want to say they're going to be more secure, but present less risk than the short-term plans. Let's put it that way.
0: Okay, very good. So, let's get back on the rundown here for for topics that you are prepared to talk about. (laughs) Um, Let's talk about Drupal 7 a a bit. Dries talked about it in the keynote at at DrupalCon Seattle, um, the end of life uh, in uh, November 2021, so a little over two years from now. And that's going to kind of go the same route that Drupal 6 went. It's, you know, there's going to be these commercial providers that provide security updates for Drupal 7 into the future, just like there are, just like my Drop Wizard we mentioned, you know, one of our sponsors who's providing security updates for, for Drupal 6 um, uh, still. Um, so that must, you know, right now we're in the weird place where you're, you know, the security team is basically serving Drupal 7 and Drupal 8. Once Drupal 7 goes end of life, then you'll be serving Drupal 8 and Drupal 9, but it seems to me that your job is going to become a lot easier because of the fact that Drupal 9 is going to be a lot like Drupal 8 minus deprecated, um, deprecated uh, methods and functions. Um, do you see it the same way? It seems like the... Things will become more streamlined for the security team. Things will become more
1: streamlined. You know, you we're talking fundamentally about technical debt here, um, and technical debt. You know, no one likes to maintain their technical debt, and this is effectively ten-year-old software. And in some ways, it's way older than ten years because Drupal well, sure. Seven is, you know, was forked. You know, wasn't even forked. It was, you know, was some major changes made to Drupal Six. But when we say major changes. It's not quite the same major changes as Drupal 8 was to Drupal 7. Uh, in some ways, Drupal 8 is you know, almost a rewritten product from Drupal 7. Drupal 6 and Drupal 7 were pretty close to each other. Right. So you know, we're, we're effectively dealing with 10 plus years of technical debt. Maintaining that code base is difficult. Uh, it's also not you know it's not fun for developers. Developers do not want to maintain 10, 15 year old code projects. And so the you know the Drupal 7 end of life is going to happen. Yes, there's a lot of sites still running on Drupal 7. Uh, they're not going to suddenly stop working overnight. Uh, but if you've got a mission-critical site that's going to be running on Drupal 7 after November 2021, I would find one of these commercial partners to help you out. And there's at the moment, there are two of them that are approved. If you are a vendor who would like to offer these services, uh, you can actually... Reach us at d7es d7 extended support at drupal.org, and there's an application to go through for doing that. It's also mentioned in PSA 2019-0225. 02 uh, has the direct link to the application, but it's longer than I'm going to read out in a uh, podcast format. Um, but Drupal Seven, you know, is going to go away. Uh, what will happen at that is on November 2021. Uh, We will mark on all the Drupal.org projects, we're going to mark them all as no longer uh, supported branches. Maintainers can go back and unmark them if they want. Drupal core itself will also be marked as no longer being maintained uh, and no longer supported. The update status module will complain that Drupal 7 is unsupported at that point. And if you need to, you know, maintain it, I would find a commercial vendor. Now, interestingly enough, the commercial vendors are required to release their patches as open source code, so you can still patch your own site if you want to. Uh, but if you've got a, you know, an, uh, a supported product that you are running that you still need to run Drupal Seven on, I would, I would get someone to assist you with that. Uh, the commercial vendors do get access to security information from the security team. Uh, we still will act as a reporting venue for Drupal 7 issues and we pass them off to the commercial vendors to triage and to work on.
0: I, I did that for about a year with the Drupal 6 site for a client is I, I just manually kept an eye on um, the the Git repository for for patches for it and manually applied them. It's not it's not necessarily exciting work, but it's 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 all there for you to to take advantage of. I think I can say this some at least some of the commercial vendors have employees that are also on the security team. Is that
1: uh, you? You absolutely can say that it's actually a requirement for the commercial vendors. If if you want to be a Drupal Seven commercial vendor, Drupal uh, Seven extended support vendor, you must have an employee on the security team. It's one of the requirements.
0: And that I don't want to go down this road because I know this is this can turn into a bit of discussion. But that's not something that you can just say, I want to be on the security team and poof, you're on the security team. There's a vetting process.
1: There, there's, there's an app, there's a formal application to join the security team. Uh, if you go to security.drupal.org slash join, you will see a very empty looking page with a link to a much longer URL of how to actually join the team. Uh, there's some minimum public work you've had to have done. You've got to have some private security issues that you've reported. Uh, there's some fun questions on there like, what's your favorite security vulnerability and why? <laughs> um, and then there's a provisional membership period. So even even if you're accepted through that application, you become a provisional security team member where you get to be, you you know, you get to exposure to our processes and our tool sets. And that takes a couple of times, it takes some time to go through and then you're actually accepted as a full member at the end of that whole process.
0: So just another kind of off the top of my head question. So when a new vulnerability does come in does the entire security team have access to it and it's kind of like who's interested in helping with this one or do different security team members have different expertises and someone kind of coordinates like based on the based on this issue it seems like these seven people might be good to work on like how is that how how does that kind of organize
1: the answer is both um, there is a security team member who is on a two-week triage duty where they are, the, per- they are the, the single point of contact for incoming reports and issues during their two weeks. Everyone on the security team has access to everything, everything that's been reported. Uh, you can you, know, you can go to security.drupal.org and see all the issues. You can also turn on email and get all the e- issues emailed to you if you would prefer as a security team member. The person who does the triage will do the initial, you know, is this, does this look legit? Does it pass a smell test? And then figure out who the next steps should be. Uh, oftentimes, yeah. it's finding the maintainer of the code. So, you know, if it's a module, who maintains the module? Sometimes it's reaching out to core maintainers and saying, hey, there's a security issue. Are you the right person for this? If not, who would be? And then it goes through the rest of the process at that point. So the answer to that is
0: both. All right, very good. So last topic. Um, And this is something which I originally read about Drupal Steward, and I didn't realize that, and I still don't. I I, I still don't really have my arms wrapped around exactly what this is. So let's do a little Reddit, explain it to me like I'm five. What is uh, Drupal Steward?
1: So let's take a little bit, uh, let's step back for a little bit and look at what happens with the security release. Uh, As we mentioned earlier, we release security vulnerabilities at uh, between noon and 5 p.m. Eastern on Wednesdays. Uh, For Core, that is the third Wednesday of the month. Uh, If you're not in the Eastern time zone, that may be problematic for you. Uh, You may have to be waking up in the middle of the night to patch your sites. If you've got a large complex site, you may not be able to just apply a patch and do a git push. You know, there may be a review process. You may have different people who have to sign off on it. Drupal Stewart is a mitigation tool that helps uh, protect against these use cases. It, it kind of bridges the gap between when a vulnerability is disclosed and when you're able to apply the patch. And so this is not a you know this is not a full-time tool that you run and your site is protected 24/ 7 365 from every Drupal vulnerability it's really designed as a stopgap tool between when the patch gets publicly released and you have the ability to apply that patch
0: okay so how does it work though so let's just, let's take a, a an example of let's say um, the you know there's an organization and there's basically one person at that organization who has the ability to apply a core update okay and they are on vacation okay that third week of of the month
1: so drupal stewart is a web application firewall uh from a technological perspective it is provided by third-party vendors and at that organization that that in that the company would engage one of these third-party vendors to be protected under Drupal Stewart. And so prior to the person going on vacation, they would have reached out to you know, vendor A and said, I wanna be a Drupal Stewart customer. they would have made an agreement and they would become a Drupal Stewart customer, which would mean that their traffic gets routed through this web application firewall. The, uh, at, when the vulnerability, the person's now on vacation The Drupal security team is going to release a highly critical vulnerability. We're only, at at least to start with, we are only covering highly critical core vulnerabilities. We may expand that
0: in the future, but for now, we're only... So highly critical, that's a score. I know you guys have the rating system 0 to 25. Mm -hmm. So that's, I
1: think, 22 to 25. It may be 23 to 25. Okay, somewhere around there.
0: It's effectively a
1: vulnerability that can be mass exploited and... Result in complete compromise of a website. And full disclosure, not all vulnerabilities can be protected using a WAF rule. So you know this is there are some limitations with this product.
0: And will that will it be made clear per vulnerability whether or not it can be protected, or is that?
1: Yes, we would. So when we publish the public service advisory uh, prior to releasing a highly critical vulnerability, we would actually include. That this will or will not be covered by Drupal Steward on the PSA.
0: Okay, so th- this is starting to make a lot more sense to me. So um so the company signs up to be a customer of one of the providers, the, the Drupal Steward providers. At that point they make it, I'm assuming that there's a change to their either their DNS or you know the routing of traffic mm-hmm. to their web server. Yep. And then the Drupal Steward um, provider basically guarantees that when a highly critical security release is made of Drupal core, if it can be protected by a web application firewall, it will be protected immediately by the provider.
1: So yeah. So what's what's happening on the back end here? That's the that's kind of the workflow from the customer side. On on the on the on the opposite side, the security team receives a you know a report and we validate that it's a valid issue and it's highly critical and mass exploitable. And so there's a couple things that get kicked off at that process. One is the normal process we go through now, which is let's get a patch and let's fix the problem. Uh, We'll also simultaneously be looking to make sure that this issue can be mitigated with a web application firewall rule. Uh, when we get a patch and we're actually you know, close to being able to do the release, we'll issue a public service advisory. We typically do those at least to the Monday before the Wednesday, and sometimes we do them a full week in advance. But normally it's the Monday before the Wednesday of a release. And we would include in the PSA if Drupal Store is going to be protecting this or not, uh, just as a, you know, it'll be a, a, a section header in there. The... Drupal Stewart WAF rules actually will then get communicated to the uh, to the partners, the the vendors in advance, and will actually turn them on in monitor only mode. So what will happen is is the 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 vendors will actually start getting reports back on is this rule being triggered by legitimate traffic, and you know one of the things is is this being mass exploited already, which you know probably not, but we want to make sure that it's not. Or is the is the web application firewall rule bad? Uh, did we write a rule that did too much? Um, you know, it's possible or is this rule being applied to a non-drupal site? It's possible that a web application firewall rule that fixes a Drupal vulnerability breaks a site running WordPress. And so we just want to make sure exactly what these rules are doing. Uh, once we've gone through and reviewed the monitor, uh, the monitor mode only uh, logs, we'll go through and make you know, refinements to the rules, make sure that the rules are working as we intend them to be. And then, right when we do the patch release, we would turn those rules into enforcing mode, mitigating the vulnerability at the same time, releasing the patch. Uh, and so, the you know the the best way to fix an issue is to is to apply the patch always. It's it's you know it's the more heavily tested way. But this is, as I said earlier, a stopgap mechanism.
0: Okay, so this that this makes a lot of sense to me now. So, a couple of questions. Sure. Um, those rules, the, the, the WAF rules, are those something that get released as open source as well?
1: Um, to be determined. My guess is when the vulnerability starts getting mass exploited, we would release either the rules themselves or a description of what the rules are, but we probably don't wanna release the rules at the same time we release the patches only because the rules often pinpoint exactly how to attack a vulnerability. We released Ah. a critical issue a year ago and it took about two weeks before it started getting mass attacked. So that was two weeks that people could have to update their site as opposed to eight hours for one of the other vulnerabilities we released where eight hours later it was being attacked. Uh, Releasing those rules is kind of, you know, the patch often has a map of how to exploit the issue, but the rules are pretty much, you know, the GPS version of the guided directions of where to go and exploit
0: this. Okay, so another question I have about this is, um, this seems like something that possibly current large-scale Drupal hosting providers, your Acquias, your platforms, your Pantheon-type companies, that they might already be doing um, when a security release is um, it, well when a security release is made it, it, do you ha- do you have any knowledge of that one way or the other is this is this something that security comp that not security but hosting companies already do and this is just kind of the uh, another way for people who don't host with these big companies um, to achieve the same result? Sure so
1: even the hosting companies when a security release is made, they have to evaluate the information. So they're having to look at the patch and they have to reverse engineer it to figure out what their firewall rules would be. So, yes, it's true that, you know, for some of the major issues, the larger hosting companies have put in mitigations, but they can't, you know, they can't, they don't have a place to test their rules. They don't actually have access to any of the uh, proof of concept exploits or anything of that nature to actually validate that their rules are truly fixing it. So this gives them, if they become a Drupal Steward partner, they get advanced access to that information in order to write these rules and test them in advance.
0: Right, makes sense. All right, and uh, one more question is, in your opinion, and this is, I'm, I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, but let's say, I don't know how many of these highly critical issues there have been um, over the past, you know, let's say the Drupal 8 lifetime, um, but would you guess that something like Drupal Stewart could protect against half of these highly critical vulnerabilities, more than half, less than half. Like what's your feeling for how, you know, what percentage of, you know, these, these highly, highly critical vulnerabilities could be protected with this. So there aren't that many of them. Um,
1: Yeah. Which is interesting. There was, you only need one though. You, you only, you absolutely only need one of them. And, you know, I would say that it, it can probably do, let's say, I'm going to give it greater than 50 and less than 80%. Okay. And, and, you know, based, I could go, we could go through and evaluate the old rule set or the old vulnerabilities to look at, you know, could we write rule sets for them? Uh, but the the two big ones that came out, uh, which would be the one from 2014. Mm-hmm. Drupal Geddon. and which is a name the security team doesn't normally use. I, I will I will bleep it out in the recording. You do not have I to bleep it out. It's okay. And the one from March of 2018, they, you know, they could have been mitigated. Well, they yeah, they both could be mitigated by by a web application firewall.
0: So is Drupal Steward like kind of like a similar type program to the long term support, where it's it's managed by the security team, but. It's provided by outside vendors. Is that the same idea? Somewhat.
1: Um, the Drupal Steward is actually a partnership between the security team and the Drupal Association. Uh, so there's there's the Drupal Association is the are the owners of the product. Technically, we are partnering with the security team to help release that product. The long term support uh, work or the extended support. Uh, there's now a Drupal eight long term support. Um, so we we switched to the extended support moniker because it's easier to not get them confused. The extended support is really just a, it's a partnership between the vendor and the security team. There's not hosting involved there. There's not, you know, we we don't communicate any advanced vulnerabilities that don't, you know, that, that for Drupal 7, that's actually not true. We will communicate advanced vulnerabilities if they affect Drupal 7 and Drupal 8 with the vendors. But there's no, we, there's no oversight uh, of the vendors and what they have or can't do. So, you know, with Drupal Stewart, you, you know, have to give us the monitor only information, obviously de-identified it. We don't need your client information about it. With Drupal, you know, 7, we might, you know, uh, say, hey, we got a report of this vulnerability in this module and the vendors can choose to ignore it. Uh, none of our customers run that module. So we don't we don't care about patching it. So it's a little less, there's a little, it's a little, they're, they're similar. Let's put it that way. That's a horrible answer to that.
0: So Michael, it sounds like Drupal steward is a product of the Drupal association in conjunction with the security team, um, for financial reasons. Is that,
1: that's not, that's not entirely fair. Um, there are financial reasons behind Drupal steward, uh, this is a service we are offering. And as a large site, this provides you a lot of benefit. You don't have to pay overtime employees, for example. Uh, we are using the proceeds of some of this to fund a community tier of Drupal Stewart. So if you are a small nonprofit or you just have your personal website that you want to put behind Drupal Stewart, there will be a tier of Drupal Stewart that is going to effectively be offered completely at cost and maybe somewhat subsidized. By some of the larger customers on the platform, so we've got you know we are offering a service. There is value here. There's a lot of work that goes in behind this, uh, both with preparing the rules, the additional communication, reviewing the rules, all of it, and there's also the you know the benefit that companies have by not having on-call employees. If I'm an agency who have you know 150 sites I'm responsible for, and I happen to be in Europe. At, you know, whatever time zone that is, when I should be asleep and working, I've got a team of people in the office patching sites. Right. And so Drupal Stewart gets us around that. And we are, you know, as I said, we are offering a community tier. There's really three tiers of Drupal Stewart uh, that we'll be offering. There's the community tier, which is for, you know, low traffic and nonprofit sites. So, you know, your, your personal website, your, you know, your, your religious organization website, your neighborhood association website, whatever it may be. There's a standard tier, which is for, you know, small, mid-scale installations. Uh, This is going to be, the community tier is available directly from the Drupal Association. The, the standard tier is, is the, is from DA is available directly from the DA and some partners. And then there's an enterprise tier, which is available directly from hosting partners. Uh, the enterprise tier you know, is, the hosting partners are in a unique position in that they actually have insight into what's happening within your site uh, because they, they own the PHP process itself. And so there's there's kind of three different tiers for three different you know site uh, scenarios, site use cases, and you, you'd figure out where you fall within that tier set.
0: Now, this is not something that's
1: available yet. This is not quite available yet. Uh, the, Do you know the timing? Uh, I'm, I'm hoping it's available sometime quarter three, maybe quarter four of this year.
0: Okay. Are there um, potential partners that you, that you are currently working with to get this up and running? The
1: application to apply to be a partner is currently open. Uh, and we have received people who want to be partners have reached out to us in order to uh, go through that process. And so, yes, we are currently vetting with partners. We need to make sure the partners are on board before we you know, announce this and have a product that we don't have people who can or companies that can run it.
0: All right. So I, I will hear from our listeners if I don't ask this question, but feel free if you don't know the answer or if you're not comfortable giving me the answer, that's fine. Any idea on the pricing, say, for the for the middle tier?
1: So let's take the community tier first. Um, because our 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 pricing on the community tier we are targeting between hundred and 250 dollars a year uh, we want it as we want you know there is benefit to the overall community just like the auto updates question uh, there is benefit to the overall community to having less compromised Drupal sites so the the more sites we can protect with this product or with auto updates or whatever other tool we come up with in the future the better off we'll be uh, the standard tier, it really ends up being a conversation between uh, the organization uh, and the person who they're, they're, they're purchasing this through. It, it, it will depend on your traffic. Uh, because this is a web application firewall, we're really looking at the amount of bandwidth you're pushing through the firewall itself. And so it's going to have to scale with those requirements. And I don't, you know, in depending on what implementation you're going with may determine how that works.
0: Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. So this is great because I actually, there's clearly, you know, a lot going on with regards to helping keep Drupal secure at scale, right. At a a, a community wide effort. So last question then uh, Michael is from your perspective, if you look at the overall programs that we have everything from the security team and um, and the potential for automatic updates in the future and the uh, end of uh, the extended service plans that we have for um, older versions of Drupal as well as it's now Drupal Drupal steward. Are we, you know, as a community, are we doing enough? I mean, how do we stack up against other communities? Are we ahead of the curve? Are we behind the curve? Are there other things that we could be doing? Like, how do you feel in general about everything that 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 we're doing?
1: I think we're, I think we're in some places we're ahead of the curve. And in some places we, we have some catch up to do the, you know, if we take other partner, other, other CMS projects, they have automatic updates and have had automatic updates for a long time. Uh, what we're looking at, you know, when we when we start building our automatic updates infrastructure, is what could be done better there. Uh, there is a, you know, a, one of our competitors, no no names here, has a single server. Which if you could find a way to compromise that server, you could update every single one of their uh, every single every single instance of this platform everywhere. Um, that's a little scary from an infrastructure perspective. Uh, there's no code signing involved in that. It just here's the you know here's the file. It's going to download. It's going to extract it, and it's and you've now updated your site with you know whatever vulnerable code is in there. So that's not to say what they're doing is bad. I don't want to, you know this is I'm not critiquing them. They built this at a point when you know these technologies weren't readily in use. So as we build our auto updates now, we have the ability to kind of think through this. And you know how do we want to build this? What 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 can we learn from these other projects? Uh, Drupal Stewart is really unique in the in the open source world. It's it's a little it's different in that we have a, a tool set around this. You know there are open source communities that will distribute these types of rules for free uh, to everyone, and sometimes in advance, sometimes at the same time as release we decided to go a little bit of a different route there. Uh, there's no way to vet everyone. And so what Drupal Stewart lets us do is vet the people who we're trusting with the secrets. It also sets up a, a fairly strong partnership uh, with these providers because we can actually see what's happening in the real world. We get a lot more information than we have now. Uh, the extended support, I think there's a lot of informal programs around this, but you know, for example, When most open source projects go unsupported, they go unsupported. We're effectively doing this hybrid model where it's not really supported. We don't really support it, but we still are helping coordinate for the people who still need to run outdated software. Let's face it. We all run outdated software at times. Sometimes we can't help it. It's a business decision. Whatever the rationale behind it is, we're uh, allowing people who need to do that a mechanism to go down that route.
0: All right, very good. I, I am I am leaving this podcast with, um, I don't I'm, confidence is not not the right word, but a much a, a much better feeling about the state of Drupal security. Not that I had a bad feeling before, but this is very. It's all very comforting. Everything you're telling me that you know, as far as like the processes and just the 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 rough percentages of like you know. How most of the reports seem to be proactive rather than reactive, and um, even the you know the proact the proactiveness of, of Drupal Steward is great. So thank you very much for your time, of course, and answering all these questions. Let me let me go through some uh, some news items, and then we'll have a little bit of fun. So first up, I just want to mention Drupal Career Online, which is a twelve week, three half day a week, best practice focused, long term training program um, that I teach. Uh, It begins, next uh, semester begins August 26th, and if you want to learn more about it, you can come to what we call the Taste of Drupal. And we have uh, one-hour Taste of Drupal webinars scheduled for June, July, and August of this year. So just go to drupaleasy.com slash dco for Drupal Career Online for more information about that. In addition, I do monthly workshops on professional local development with DDEV, Uh, two hours online, hands-on. The next one is on May 8th, so you can go to drupalees.com slash DDEV for that. And staying on the DDEV train, I've written a book about local web development with DDEV Explained, published by the good folks at OS Training, and you can just go on drupalees.com and there's a link there to get more information about that book. I encourage you to buy the electronic version because I do update it. Um, version Two is out right now, and I am working on version three of the book so don't bother with the uh, with the printed edition. get the electronic version so you get the updates and it's less than ten bucks for the electronic version, so definitely check that out. Upcoming events uh mm-hmm. we have three of them uh, two of them here in the southeast of the u s Um, Drupal Camp Chattanooga happens uh, June 7th and 8th. And then Drupal Camp Asheville, which is one of my favorite Drupal events, uh, happens July 12th through 14th. If you've never been to Asheville, this is definitely one of those camps you want to check out. Um, Just a really good vibe, a really good group of people there. and then, Michael, you are the organizer of kind of a unique event called Midwest Drupal Summit. You want to tell us a little bit about that one?
1: Midwest Drupal Summit is a – if you've ever been to a DrupalCon and you stay on Friday for the contribution days, Midwest Drupal Summit is an event around contribution days. There's no formal sessions. Sometimes we have like an unconference type event where people stand up and say, hey, I'm thinking about this. Let me share my thoughts. Every now and then people will practice uh, you know, for an upcoming uh, – event and I just want feedback. But for the most part, this is around uh, the this is around contributing back to Drupal in some manner. Uh, last year at this event is where we actually organized the auto updates initiative and wrote the proposals to get funding for the EU from it. Uh, it's got maybe 20, 25 people who come to it regularly. And we also make sure we have a bit of fun in it. Uh, two years ago, we went and toured a cheese factory and learned how cheese was made. Uh, last year we threw axes.
0: Both of those are fantastic. <laughs> if you can somehow combine throwing axes at giant wheels of cheese, then I think you got something, something special. So, beforehand, is there like a focus announced, like saying this year at you know Midwest Drupal Summit we're going to be focusing on this, and then an attempt to get you know contributors really interested in that, or is it just kind of? everybody show up and we'll break up into into groups and figure out, you know, from there. Sometimes
1: a little of both. Uh, last year we knew that we were going to be talking a little about, uh, about auto updates and there were, we, we made efforts to pull people in for who needed to be a part of that. I think the year before there was a lot of focus on the layout initiative. Uh, it, you know, it, it's, it's interesting because people will self-organize around it. You know, it's hard to solve hard problems in asynchronous manners. And so having these events together where we can sit down and, you know, just focus on this in a nice environment is helpful. And so it, it's effectively come work, co-work with your, your Drupal friends. Uh, we also plan, you know, social events outside of it. So, you know, as opposed to what you can do on Slack, you actually can get to know some of the people who you spend your days on Slack with a little bit better.
0: All right. Very good. How do people find out more information about this? Uh, best thing to do is to go
1: on Slack, the Drupal Slack, and go into the MWDS channel. Uh, there's also uh, you can also if you're interested in coming you can email me directly at I'm not sure I want to give this out but you can email me directly at
0: you know let's let's just go to MWDS on the Slack workspace <laughs> I'm not sure putting putting your email address out there is the best idea right now because I think I feel that you would get security um, uh, potential security uh, vulnerabilities emailed directly that directly, already happens. probably <laughs> oh, okay
1: <laughs> my email address is not hard to find let's put it that way.
0: Okay, very good. Um, another way, or you can just hit up Michael on Twitter at MLH407. Should I ask what the 407 is about? No. <laughs> okay, very good. Um, you can contact uh, Drupal Easy on Twitter as well. That's myself, Ultimike, U L T I M I K E. All right, Michael, name something interesting you do outside of Drupal. So, work-related,
1: I teach three classes, two of them on web development, one of them on agile, and non-work-related, I recently looked into becoming a pilot.
0: Oh, fantastic. So, where, so where in the process are you? I, I, I did the solo thing and then kind of stopped. <laughs> <laughs> so, you took your first solo, but you haven't gotten your private pilot's license yet? I have not. Somewhere in there. Okay. I actually went to a university where uh, they had a pretty big flight school. So my roommate all four years as an undergraduate was a flight student. So I have uh, more than a few hours in, um, in a Piper warrior was the aircraft that
1: nice little plane.
0: What's your favorite movie?
1: I don't watch a lot of movies. (laughs) Okay. I don't
0: really
1: have a favorite movie. What's your favorite movie?
0: Oh, see, that's a tough – well, it it really depends on – you have to, like, break it down by decade for me. Like, if I had to pick one, you know, growing up, I probably watched um, Back to the Future a gazillion times. Oh, I forgot about that. I love that. Yeah, that was really well done.
1: Um, We can share if you want. You can – What was it actually Back to the Future? Uh, Army of the Twelve Monkeys on Sci-Fi. I don't know what that is, but okay. It's it's, uh, it's a really interesting time. It was a movie originally, and they remade it uh, into a TV show. I think it was three seasons. It was really well put together.
0: And how, did it, how does it tie to Back to the Future? It's time travel. Oh, it's time travel. Okay, all right. So we'll go with somewhere in there is one of your favorite movie-like things, and we'll just leave it right there. Um, when you're trying to get stuff done – Work-wise, what distracts you the most?
1: So I, I follow, um, I actually am giving a talk on this in a couple of weeks. Uh, Work-in-progress, which is an agile concept of the number of things you're simultaneously trying to do, uh, having more than one is really, it really decreases productivity. So I try really hard to when I'm working to not be doing multiple things at once. Uh so for example, for this podcast, I shut off my email, my cell phone, my Slack, all of it. Uh because getting distracted is hard. Uh it leads to stress and all sorts of things. So I try really hard not to get distracting distracting, distracted. But people knocking on my door is still a thing. Uh there's often, you know, an emergency that comes up where, you know, it need, it does need immediate detention attention. Um Recently, what's been driving me nuts is when Alexa will let you know that there's a package and it just beeps at you and you have no idea why it's beeping at you. And the thing that's supposed to stay quiet in the corner is now beeping at you.
0: So it sounds like, the to summarize, your answer is just other electronic things. Yes. Yes. Okay, fair enough. And maybe we've gotten the answer of this to this next question already, but what Drupal project are you currently most excited about?
1: um i am really interested in the auto updates initiative i think auto updates initiative is going to be uh somewhat unique in the way we do things i'm hoping it's going to become a model for other open source projects i'm excited with drupal 9 that we don't have this massive uh upgrade path anymore that you know you basically can just move and you'll know if you're ready for drupal you can know if you're ready for drupal 9 right now today it's Almost too good to believe, still. But it's there, and so I know <laughs> the people who've been around the Drupal community for a long time. Uh, you won't have to you you won't have to you know have this massive upgrade uh, path,
0: which it's go- it's going to be special.
1: Uh, and the other thing, I, I don't think I corrected it earlier. Drupal seven and Drupal eight technically get unsupported at the same time, so. Once November 2021 rolls around, we, the security team, are only focusing on Drupal 9.
0: Which must be uh, very exciting to think about. I'm smiling. (laughs) All right, very good. Um, So let me just wrap things up here. As always, I want to thank webenable.com and devpanel.com for their continued support of the Drupal Easy Project. You can check them out. Um, for sure. DevPanel is basically cPanel for developers, so check that out. Um, if you like this episode and want to hear more, you can always go to the Drupal Easy podcast uh, on iTunes or Spotify or Google Play or just drupaleasycom slash podcast. And I think that's it. Let's end right there. Michael, thanks so much for your time. Went a little bit over an hour today, but you know, I'm trying to keep things under an hour, so I'll, I'll, everyone will have to forgive me for going over an hour. Thank you. This was wonderful. All right. Very good. And we will see everybody on the next episode of the Drupal Easy Podcast. See ya!